Hello and welcome back to another episode of our Opinionated Science podcast that's brought to you by Technology Networks. If you've not joined me here before, my name's Lucy, I'm the scientific content producer here. It's wonderful to meet you and for this podcast I will be your host. You've joined me for a particularly great episode as today we're taking a deep dive into the world of culturing cells. So if we take it all the way back to basics, cell culture is the growth of cells from an animal or a plant in an artificial environment. So the cells are removed either from the organism directly or just before the cultivation or even from a cell line or cell strain that's already been established. So essentially, it's the growth of microorganisms or human, plant or animal cells in the lab. The first cell culture techniques were developed some 100 years ago, so you can imagine that since then they've contributed to some tremendous breakthroughs in science. Today, it's just seen as a fundamental tool which is used in labs around the world for studying the normal physiology and biochemistry of cells, mechanisms underlying diseases and the effects of drugs and toxic compounds. Today, I'll be speaking with Professor Jacob Peterson, who heads up the Novo Nordic Cell Therapy R&D unit. Jacob has decades of experience in drug development, which to a large degree is based on cell culturing, and will have a strong focus on living drugs or cell therapies, which is one of the next frontiers in biomedical science. And we'll also be taking a look at how cell cultures really could change our future. The podcast you're about to hear is very kindly sponsored by Biotechni. And get ready to hear my interview with Professor Peterson in full. Hi, Jacob. How are you today? I'm great, Lucy, and I'm really looking forward to our talk about uh, cell cultures and what you can use it for. Fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, and before we dive into it, firstly, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your research background? Absolutely. So uh, I'm, I'm Jacob Peterson, and I'm uh, originally trained actually in immunology many, many years ago, uh, and diabetes and metabolism. I actually started uh, my career making monoclonal antibodies, uh, which, you know, uh, comes from cell cultures, which today is one of the most used culture and application, also one of the biggest commercial drug categories. And then I've worked with immunology and diabetes during my thesis work. And then I've worked for a couple of biotech companies with different aspects of uh, genetics and uh, oncology and a lot of other stuff. And then I started in Novo Nordisk uh, more than a couple of decades ago, which is a global pharma company where I have been in various management positions. Uh, among others, I've been responsible for our global research efforts in diabetes and obesity. But a few years ago, I actually changed uh, uh, what I had been doing for almost two decades. And that was, I was uh, asked to head up what we call Cell Therapy Research and Development Unit. This was a newly established unit. Uh, it has a strong focus on developing therapies for people suffering from serious chronic diseases. And I guess also a strong focus on what we're going to discuss today in cell culture. And then I'm an adjunct professor at Copenhagen University in biomedicine. So that was a brief, brief uh, talk about myself. Fantastic. So if we start to look more about um, culturing cells, can you tell us what cell culturing is and kind of what the most common applications are? 
Yeah. Basically, you can culture cells. You know, there are many forms of cells. There are mammalian cells, there's yeast, and there's uh, bacterial cells. But but if we kind of focus a little bit on on uh, on the mammalian cells, then it's uh, one of the most used research tool in research laboratories, universities around the world to characterize and elucidate you know cellular function. How does a cell work? Uh, how does a cell work we have in the body? But also, uh, if you look at it for for more uh, commercial application, also for drug screening, many pharma companies, including ourselves, we use cells to screen potential drug candidates. How do they interact with receptors and what then happens to the cells and a lot of other things. But cell culturing can also be used, as I mentioned in the beginning, to make monoclonal antibodies. So meaning that the cells will secrete a specific monoclonal antibody that you can then purify and use to treat a specific disease. And as you know, monoclonal antibodies, they're used to treat a variety of diseases being in oncology or autoimmune diseases. Um, These but not last, you can also have a number of uh, mammalian cells or yeast, for example, that can make insulin that is used to treat uh, uh, people with, uh, with diabetes. And also even some of the COVID vaccines are made out of uh, cells in cell culture. And, and you can say, if you look a little bit ahead, you can say in, in recent decades, a new application have kind of emerged. This is something that what I just spoke about has been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that is what I would call living drugs or, or actually cell therapy, where you use the cell as a therapeutic tool uh, and a cell therapy could be based on cells that originate from your own body, but it could also originate from, for example, embryonic stem cells, uh, where you can derive pluripotent uh, stem cells that have the ability to differentiate into more than the 200 different cell types comprising the human body. And you can just imagine, Lucy, what, what that can be used for, because many serious chronic diseases, they actually arise from damaged or lost cells which are needed for specific uh, vital functions in, in the body. Mm-hmm. And these cannot be replaced by pluripotent stem cells, for example, type 1 diabetes, where you're missing the insulin-producing beta cells, or Parkinson's disease, where you're missing the dopaminergic uh, neurons that produce dopamine that then gives the symptoms of Parkinson's. So, so there are many, many things that uh, it can be used for, as you can hear. Yeah, the, the avenues are huge. But I guess with that, uh, what are the, some of the biggest challenges that you come up against with culturing cells? Well, if, if we again, you know, try to focus on what, what, what I call living drugs or, or, or pluripotent stem cells that, uh, that can then turn into whatever cell type in the human body uh, you, 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 you make them. Uh, there are many challenges, at least if you want to use it therapeutically, which is what we really would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you need, uh, first of all, an excellent starting material in terms of the pluripotent stem cell that should be of an extremely high uh, quality. And, and then you need something as simple as donor consent. You know, you get that cell line from, from either a couple or a person, and, and they, of course, need to agree to that. And then it needs to be free from any known diseases, viruses, uh, genetic abnormalities, and, and all of those steps can take uh, a long time. Then you have the cell line, and then you, you, you need to turn them into the desired cell type of dopaminergic neuron that we just discussed. 
So you need to develop a differentiation protocol mm-hmm. that is reproducible and, and can make the cells you're interested in. But, but, but then when you have done that, then all your, your hard work actually begins and, and many research fellows, they will say, then I'm done. But if you look at it from a more pharmaceutical application, then you need to ensure that the cells you are making does not contain unwanted cells like cells that are not differentiated because pluripotent stem cells, they can turn into tumors if they're not fully differentiated. And of course, you don't want that. And that means you need an entire package of analytics and uh, to make sure that it's a safe product and it's the same every time. So, so as you can imagine, just within this one field of what we call cell therapies, there are many, many challenges that we and others are, are, are working on trying to solve. And then with 3D cell cultures, we know that they've had a huge impact on drug discovery. Can you talk to us a little bit about this and explain how likely this is to kind of change in the future? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, 3D cell culturing, that is, that is an enabler, not only for, for example, making uh, uh, some of the other drugs we, we talked about, but again, if we return from uh, uh, to, 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 to stem cells, you can say going from 2D, which is basically a tissue culture flask. So it's basically a flask where you have cells sitting on a bottom, you can have a limited number of cells and they are normally under static conditions, meaning that you put them on a media and you cannot really change it for a given period of time. Mm -hmm. 3D cultures, as you asked, that uh, is completely different because you can have the cells growing in a flask and there's normally some kind of propeller that will keep the cells in suspension. And that has many, many advantages. You can measure specific compounds and analytics like pH and glucose. Uh, so you can continue to adjust the cell culture and conditions, meaning that, that you're more on a continuous basis can optimize growing the cells. You can add glucose or you can adjust the pH or add other metabolites that the, the, the cell is, is, uh, is using, meaning that compared to 2D with the static, that you, in the same volume or same, you can say, geographical imprint can grow a significantly higher number of cells, which means time and money. But, but most yeah. important, it, you can imagine that your, the reproducibility, if you have the, you know, the conditions under control, uh, is much better. So it's more reproducible. And, and uh, it's uh, higher quality. You can grow a large number of cells uh, compared to what else you can do. And again, if you look at cell therapies that we are discussing, of the diseases we are looking at, like, for example, chronic heart failure, mm-hmm. where you need to replace a piece of the heart you have lost with beating cardiomyocytes that you have grown in cell cultures, you need hundreds and hundreds of millions of cells injected into one patient mm-hmm. and and you can imagine if you then need to treat millions of patients you just multiply those numbers then 2d cell culturing is, is completely out of the question so 3d is basically what does today that we can bring these therapies potentially to humans in, in, in the future so really really important for the quality reproducibility and uh, uh, enabling scale Absolutely. And I think it's kind of that real world application of it. 
Um, are there any other notable kind of advances in this field that uh, you feel are worth kind of discussing or mentioning here? Yeah, I, I think that uh, uh, again, if we stay on the track of uh, of, uh, of 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 cell therapies, uh, uh, I believe that uh, uh, cell therapies will kind of be the next wave in, in biomedical science. So, mm -hmm. so one thing is that you can make a cardiomyocytes or dopaminergic neuron, but I think the next the next advantage that will come in this field is that you then can combine two fields and that's genetic editing with cell culturing. Absolutely. So, yeah. so we have known, as you know, genetic editing may, to make cells in cell cultures make insulin, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, they add a gene and the cells will start producing what, you know, it could be growth hormone, it could be, you know, whatever protein or peptide you want to make, you can add a, a, a genetic edit. We have known that for a long time. But when we look at cell therapy, then, then that's a living drug. And if, for example, if you want a cardiomyocyte uh, and you want that to replace the cardiomyocytes that are lost, lost during a heart attack, for example, then you could potentially add compounds that will promote vascularization of the heart, like VEGF, mm -hmm. and then the heart will easier become vascularized and the effect of the cell therapy would become even greater so that is what you can call supercells, mm -hmm. which I think is, 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 is really interesting and kind of, you know, the second generation of cell therapies. Absolutely. I and think not, that's really interesting. I think it could yeah. really be very exciting. It could be. And, and, and you, you can even go a step further because, as you know, when you get an organ transplant, then you need immunosuppression. Mm -hmm. And immunosuppression comes with a, a, a set of unwanted side effects that yeah. for some can be quite serious, like cancers in the long term. Mm -hmm. that you basically, so you basically want to avoid immunosuppression. And that is one of the Achilles heels of uh, a whole organ transplantation, but also cell therapy, because a cell is basically a small organ, right? Yep. So what we can do genetically now is that we can remove all the compounds or molecules on the surface of the cells that makes the immune system recognize and destroy the cell. So we can basically make a cell that is stealth for the immune system by removing all the molecules that the immune system uh, recognize and react to and killing the cells. So basically making cells that are stealth to the immune system so you don't need any immune suppression. And that would, of course, be a huge advantage for for, 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 for patients if we could uh, get to that. And I know a lot of research lab and a lot of companies, including ours, are looking at that at the moment. I just think that would be completely life-changing for so many people. Yeah, exactly. Because they could get a safe cell therapy without the unwanted side effects of immune suppression. And I guess you've already touched on this slightly, uh, but kind of relaying this to the current day, what role has cell culturing played during the COVID-19 pandemic? It, it, uh, I think we can turn it around uh, first and say that uh, 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 for many people dealing with cell culturing, it has had a big impact uh, because many of the materials that we are using in cell culturing, like the 3D cell culturing systems we just discussed, they are simply not readily available anymore. Oh, absolutely, because, yeah. 
Because the COVID uh, 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 vaccine companies, for really, really good reasons, of course, need to get uh, first uh, priority. You, you can say, if, if you then go back to your question and said, what role have the cell culture played? Well, many of the vaccines uh, are produced using cell cultures uh, where you propagate uh, the, the, the virus, for example, the JNJ and the AstraZeneca vaccines. So, so, so that means that without cell culture and systems, uh, many of the vaccines we have today, you will simply not have them uh, if we didn't uh, were expert in, in cell culturing and upscaling and 3D and, and all the stuff we have been discussing. So they have played a pivotal role in, in getting the vaccines, that we, some of the vaccines we have today. And they have also played a pivotal role in making at least for, for, for a period of time life a little bit more difficult for us working with the cell culture because of shortage of, uh, uh, for example, the 3D cell culturing systems that we, we spoke about. Mm-hmm. So in, in many ways, it has played, played a role. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of different kind of aspects in how you look at it. Uh, but finally, um, as unfortunately, we're almost out of time. But where do you see the future of this really exciting kind of research space heading? Yeah, I think that the, uh, the next wave in cell culture I mean, is for sure going to be living drugs. Now we have monoclonal antibodies, we have protein and peptides. And I think the next wave is going to be living drugs or cell therapies that we just discussed today. And, and cell therapies, if you look at it, are one of the fastest growing fields in biomedical sciences at the moment. Yeah, it's and, a hot topic. It is a really hot topic. And you can say that even though, uh, I mean, actually, it, it's a little bit crazy, but there are no approved products today on the market that are based on pluripotent stem cells. There are a lot of products that are based on cell therapies, but pluripotent stem cells that we just discussed, there are no approved drugs on the market. Oh, really? But, yeah, that is uh, that is actually not that I know of, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think looking at the billions and billions of US dollars that's being invested in this, I think this is something that will really change in the future. And, and the reason why it will change is because we we have the possibilities of addressing and treating serious chronic diseases for which there are poor or no treatments uh, uh, today, or that the burden of treatment is, is really, really high. For example, chronic heart failure, we can replace lost cardiomyocytes with cell therapies. Chronic kidney disease is actually possible today to make small mini kidneys in a, in, a, in a dish. I even saw a paper, and I don't think we're going to use that for any serious chronic disease, where people could make small mini brains with eyes on. I mean, it's absolutely (laughs) amazing what you can do. But then something like spinal cord injury, where you can maybe inject neuronal cells into the the lesion and have uh, the the nerves reconnect so so you can use your arms and legs again. Something like hearing loss that are caused by a specific cell called hair cells, we can potentially treat various forms of blindness and tons of other diseases, just to mention a few, are actually addressable with cell therapy. And, and for many of the diseases I mentioned, there are also conventional drugs, but, but they don't either work for a long time or the effect is not uh, uh, phenomenal. Or the burden of disease, like, for example, for type 1 diabetes, which is 
a disease where we have good treatments today, but you are sick 24-7 and you need mm-hmm. multiple shots of insulin every day, that we can potentially give insulin-producing beta cells that will then replace or, or, or give a curative-like treatment because we can basically replace all the insulin shots and the glucose measurements and what have you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This has been extremely exciting and it's been an absolute pleasure. It has been my pleasure, Lucy, and uh, uh, thank you for all your, your excellent questions and, and some uh, uh, really good discussions around uh, cell therapies and uh, cell culturing. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Opinionated Science, and I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Tune in next time for another episode of Opinionated Science, and don't forget to like, share, and comment on this podcast on whichever platform you're listening to it on. I'll see you again soon.